Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to this edition of How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But as you know by now, we're in this together. We have some wonderful people helping us along the way. Now, perhaps like me, you remember mean girl behavior being relegated to middle school or high school, being ostracized, gossiped about, teased, berated, or made to feel inferior. I certainly was a victim of it. Perhaps you were too. And it was terrible. But there seems to have been some kind of age compression of sorts that has happened where the ugly behavior we once saw in the teen years is now happening in younger grades where competition and social humiliation is on the rise. What we once discussed regarding queen bees and cliques in fifth and sixth grade is now the buzz of first and second graders. It can no longer be ignored, and we must address this right now. Katie Hurley, LCSW, has been on our show before in a popular episode on stress and children, and she is back to talk about young girls and relational aggression in the elementary school years. Katie is a child and adolescent psychotherapist, parenting expert, and writer. She is the founder of Girls Can Empowerment Groups for Girls Between the Ages of 5 and 11. Hurley is the author of the Happy Kid Handbook and the forthcoming No More Mean Girls, an awesome book. I got to read it. I'm so excited about it. And her work can be found in The Washington Post, PBS Parents, and U.S. News and World Report, among other places. She practices psychotherapy in the South Bay area of Los Angeles and earned her B.A. in psychology and women's studies from Boston College and her MSW from the University of Pennsylvania. She splits her time between California and Connecticut with her husband and two children. I am so excited to have you back on the show. So welcome again, Katie Hurley, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be back. What an honor. Yes, so exciting. And we had a great time talking the last time. And I know that people have probably already heard you speak about this, but we're shifting directions here. You know, before we get really started today, you have changed gears a little bit. We chatted about stress and how to help raise joyful kids in a stressed out world. Now we're talking about No More Mean Girls, your forthcoming book we're extremely excited about. We were talking about relational aggression and self-esteem. So what or who prompted this more recent interest? Well, I mean, it seems like it's a more recent interest because the book is coming out now. But I will say I've been at this for just shy of 20 years working with kids and adolescents. And I primarily work with girls. I do work with boys too, but I tend to have a lot of girls roll through my office. And I've kind of seen firsthand the shift from 20 years ago when this stuff was happening at the middle school level to 
you know, cut forward to today, 2017, 2018 coming up on, and it's happening in second, third, fourth grade, sometimes even kindergarten and first grade. So I've seen this pushing down of mean girl behavior, and it's come through my office. I've seen it in the groups I run. I've seen it when I'm at schools consulting and things. So I really started to look at it and say, we've got to figure out what has changed, how we got here, and what we can do to help these girls at younger ages so that they can learn to build each other up and be uplifters. Mm-hmm. So important. And it is disturbing that it's happening younger, younger. Um, when I was in elementary school, I certainly dealt with my fair share of relational aggression towards like the end of elementary school. I was ostracized mercilessly in fifth grade, which is now sort of middle school time period. So it had happened so much that I, I dare say that it was a pivotal year that shaped some of the way I view female relationships even today. It was so integral and in, into how I view the world, how I view friendships, just a huge impact on, on me. And it had a huge impact on, on young people. And people sometimes they'll look at this and say, this is just girl drama. So I would love to know, how do you respond to that? I find that really frustrating when people boil it down to girl drama or say things like, well, that's a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. That's just part of growing up girl. This stuff does not have to be part of growing up girl. If we continue to look the other way and make those bland statements, it will continue. But we really don't need to just prepare our girls to survive this kind of stuff. We can help them to be the change agents that stop this sort of stuff from happening. So I think, you know, what I find is that a lot of it stems from poor social skills that haven't been taught or haven't been internalized from anxiety and from low self-esteem. When we sort of like hit those three prongs and we figure out where is the behavior stemming from, um, you know, we can help girls correct it. Mm hmm. No, I like what you're saying here. And, and I do find it up to be a frustrating statement, that sort of idea that we're just going to boil it down to girl drama, just like in the same way that I, I, I dislike that boys will be boys kind of idea. We're just sort of exactly. shove it in that box and say, well, you know, right, just like you were saying, it's a rite of passage. But a lot of a lot of things have changed since we were young. Time has passed. Um, my daughter, who's now currently eight, um, almost nine, she's already talked about over the last two years that some girls on the playground are mean they don't allow other people to play they have their own clubs they call people names and she is visibly very shaken upset by it you know and and we have had to have conversations about it i don't remember having that kind of situation when I was in second and third grade. So what is changing in girlhood and and why are younger and younger girls engaging in relational aggression? Well, I think there's a lot of factors at play. Um, And so we have to sort of widen our lens and look at the whole arc of the behaviors and why we're seeing this happen. Um, You know, things are different in childhood than they used to be. 30 years ago when kids were in school, if things came up, 
teachers had the time and space to deal with them both swiftly and make them into sort of life lessons for the whole classroom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I even remember being in fourth grade and I tell this story in my book, but being in fourth grade and two friends, we had a play date on a Saturday and you didn't call them play dates then you were just at someone's house, but you know, we were over at someone's house and we came up with this really funny name, what we thought was a really funny name for a club. We really didn't know what a club was. Um, We were young, you know, but we thought that the smelly sneakers would just be this really funny name. So we spent the day making all these posters for the Smelly Sneakers Club. The club was nothing but a couple of posters. It really, it didn't have meetings. It didn't, it had no organization whatsoever, just a funny name and some cute posters. And we talked about it at recess the following Monday because we were still sort of hopped up on the idea and the funny name. And another child told on us, well, within 45 minutes, we were pulled inside and talked about how clubs are exclusive. And when you form clubs, then you leave people out. And we weren't upset. You know, we were not punished. We weren't sent to the principal. We just had a chat with the teacher. And then the teacher sort of made it into a lesson later when everybody else came back in about, well, how do you include other people? And what happens if you start one club and not everybody's invited to it? What a great teacher. What a great teacher. And she had the time to do that. And we never did that thing again. You know, that was kind of the end of the smelly sneakers. And we laugh about it, you know, and we we really had no intention to leave anybody out. We just thought we were being funny. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those lessons used to happen more regularly in the classroom and at home. You know, yes, kids had more free time. They were outside a lot. They were playing together a lot. They were solving problems on their own. They were really in the trenches of childhood just learning how to get along and how to work through a conflict. You know, 30 years ago, a bunch of kids couldn't agree on the rules to a game. The game ended and that was the end of the fun. Mm -hmm. So they figured out how to agree on the rules and how to adapt it so that everybody was happy so that the game continued. Mm -hmm. Well, kids don't have that ability anymore because they're not just out wandering, looking for a group of pals, playing, making stuff up. Their lives are very scripted. They're constantly being told what to do by adults, whether they're in an art class or a team sport or anything. You know, they have adults leading them, guiding them, telling them exactly how to do things. And they're not sort of learning more organically on their own anymore. So that really has affected girlhood because their social skills are different. If they're not being taught something specifically, they're not getting it. And so a lot of girls aren't you know, they don't know exactly how to relate. They know that they want to have a group of friends. They know that they like certain things, but they don't necessarily know how to communicate well with other girls. So we see a lot of the sort of recess stuff when they come to me, when it gets to my office, it all, a lot of it boils down to miscommunications, misunderstandings, and just where you have one very, you know, everybody has different personalities. So sometimes you have a really strong personality And that girl sort of becomes the, quote, bossy one or the queen bee or the leader of the pack, whatever you want to call it. And then you have the quieter ones who don't feel like they can assert themselves. So they don't really speak up as much and they don't know how to navigate it. So you start having problems. And the ones that you're likely to hear from are the quieter ones. You know, those are the ones who will say, well, these girls are mean. These girls don't let me in. And those girls will say, they will sit right in my office and say, well, we would let her in. It's just that we like to do this and she doesn't like to do this. And so, you know, they have to learn how to manage conflict, how to work Mm -hmm. through things. I think you're hitting on something really important, this idea of organic play. And and you and I have talked about this in, in our previous podcast together on, on stress and play and sort of that natural going outside and picking up sticks and, you know, playing in the dirt and 
you know, getting it done. Um, I, I had this interesting conversation with a friend the other day who said that he was given a book. His mom had uh, gotten this book from the library because they were getting rid of old books. The book was from the 1990s. It was on defiant children, and uh, he's had some issues with his son. And he's like, you know how I knew it was not from today? There was this whole section on what if your child says that he does not want to come in from being outside. <laughs> and I mean, right. it really kind of hit me because yep. that's exactly how we were. You know, we went outside. We, you know, found whoever was outside. I would not come home until the streetlights came on at six o'clock. There was a siren that sounded in town. And then we knew we were to be home. All that other time, we were playing. There was no adults, you know, sort of kind of going in and guiding things. And I, I think you're right that the more time that they have for this organic play, the more they kind of understand on their own how to uh, negotiate, how to nurture, how to be assertive, how to give in sometimes if that's mm -hmm. necessary to compromise. And, and these girls maybe are not given that opportunity at this point because, as you're saying, things are, are more scripted. And, you know, frankly, people get a little bit more worried these days about having their kids out and about or the sort of helicopter parent idea. So what, what, what do we do about that? What do we what is our next step to helping these girls kind of get those skills? Well, it, yes, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of, you know, there's fear on the part of the parents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the world has changed. So you, you can't blame parents no, to some degree for no. feeling worried about sort of that extended outside playtime, depending on where you live. Right. Um, my kids have more playtime outside, more freedom in Connecticut when we are in Connecticut than when we are in California. And those, mm -hmm. that's just sort of the facts. Mm -hmm. um, they've got the backyard in California, but in Connecticut, they can roam. And that's just different living circumstances. True. But yeah. the other thing, too, is that the thing I hear from moms of girls over and over again is I want her to have every opportunity. I want her to have every opportunity. Yeah. So they're playing every sport and they're taking every musical instrument sure, and they're sure. taking voice lessons and they're taking art classes and they're taking cooking classes. They're doing a thousand things. So they're exhausted. They're completely exhausted. They're not sleeping enough. You know, what we know about kids and sleep is that when they don't get enough sleep, they are cranky no, and they have gosh. a hard time relating to other people <laughs> and they have a hard time listening, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, and some of it sounds obvious, but when you really sit back and you look at your calendar of events for your kid, can you really do that gut check and say, yes, my kid has enough time to play enough time to read and relax enough time to get, you know, nine to 11 hours of sleep every single night. Mm -hmm you know, enough time for healthy, non-rushed meals. I mean, those are, those things are important. And then the other thing that's important is that, and I love organized sports. I do. I mean, I was an athlete growing up and I played in college. So I am, I am a proponent of organized sports. However, we are starting kids much, much younger, mm -hmm. girls in particular, mm -hmm. so that they're, we're cutting childhood short to get them, get a certain skill set for them. Mm -hmm. And they're also facing just toxic competition. It's so true. You know, yeah. 30 years ago, the competition in girls sports was healthy. It's pretty toxic now in a lot of different sports. And I've seen it from a lot of different angles and dealing with my own daughter and clients and things. And so those are all things 
we really need to think about. I think the number one thing we can do right now, easy peasy, is slow down. You know, teach girls the value of slowing down and figuring out what they're really interested in. You know, there's this whole thing about passion, passion, I have to find my passion or passions. And it's like, you can't be passionate about something if you don't have time to think. I mean, Mm -hmm. you just can't, you know, so really just slowing down and letting girls discover the world around them and letting them enjoy other girls, you know, Mm -hmm. just enjoy friendships that aren't tied to anything. You know, why do they have to only be with their soccer friends or their dance friends or this friend or that friend? Why can't they just have these more organic friendships that just speak to them? You know, we have to trust them that they know what they like and they know what they want and they know what they're doing. And we don't do that anymore. We don't trust kids. So, you know, that's an important piece. And then really talking openly and honestly with girls about what they're seeing, what they're doing, you know, kids watch more TV than they used to. And part of that is just, there's more available yes. than there used to be. And, I mean, don't, more I don't, times. Yeah, there's yeah. more times. And, you know, I joke with my kids all the time that it was like, well, there was like the electric company That's and, right. you know, what other show. And if you didn't That's hit right. it at exactly five o'clock, That's you, right. say, you know, so they are, and I don't like to blame media because I think there's a lot of good that comes out of media, but they are, you know, these tween programming for girls. I mean, I, I want to scratch my eyes out when I watch <laughs> so a lot true. of it, you know, yes. so, and I try to find the healthy things. I'm a huge fan of Just Add Magic. Um, and there's a couple other shows that for targeted for tween girls that I think are really well done and, and that don't include the toxic competition or the boy craziness and all that stuff. But we have to admit that a lot of girls are taking a lot of their cues from some of these things they're seeing on television, in the movies, even that they're reading in more modern, you know, kid lit. So I think, you know, we have to, if we're going to have that stuff in our lives and expose our kids to that, fine. But then we really need to talk about it. And we need to be present when they're watching that stuff. And I mean, my daughter, I drive her nuts, but I, you know, I will pause it and be like, (laughs) Can you believe what that what just happened? You know, and we'll talk about it right there yeah. as it's happening because they need that feedback. You know, they're sitting there, they're they're internalizing these cues. They're trying to figure out how to navigate girlhood. Well, you know, we can either sit back, not say anything, and let them take all those cues and do with it what they will, or we can help them work through it. And mm-hmm. you know, when you when you're honest with kids and you talk to them and you ask them what they think about things, you you really have meaningful conversations and you really help them. Bingo. I mean, it is like that is the crux of why I do what I'm doing right now. I think the conversation piece is so important and we do need to take the lead from our girls and we kind of have to take the leap, you know, yeah. a little bit of courage and say, you know, I might not know what a, what the heck I'm about to say. And I don't know what conversation we're about to get into. And I don't know if I'm going to like what I'm about to hear but I'm going to do it anyway. So I, I like what you're saying there. And, and I agree with you. It's important. So th- thinking back to, you know, when I was in fifth grade, I, I wish I had spoken up for myself more. I mean, look, I was in fifth grade at the time. I'm certainly not like angry with myself or, you know, like frustrated with myself. But like when I look back, I'm like, ooh, I just wish I had sort of change directions and I I wish I had you know sometimes I even think like oh if I had that chance to go back like I, I wish I would have said this I wish I had said that of course this is not possible but I have a daughter now and you know you and I both work with girls so 
what in your opinion are some concrete tips that we could use as guides to help girls to be more assertive, especially in those situations where they don't like what's going on or they want things to go in a different direction? Assertiveness training is so important. I can't highlight that enough. Um, In my groups with girls, I spend a huge proportion of time training these, helping these girls learn how to assert themselves, just helping them learn how to even just use their voices at all. I mean, there are times when I have 20 girls in a room just screaming no repeatedly so that they can get used to saying the word no, because girls are constantly told not to say no. They are, you know, socialized to believe that no is like this bad word. So then when they need to use it, it feels uncomfortable. Or when someone needs to use it on them to set a boundary, it feels devastating. And that shouldn't be the case either. We should all be able to set healthy boundaries and say no. Um, And so that's kind of a word we all we all need to take back, but especially Mm -hmm. young girls, Um, you know, and then just I teach them how to stand up straight, how to make eye contact, how to have an assertive voice that's not overpowering, but that can be heard and, and speak clearly and say what you mean. These are all things that girls really need to learn how to do. We're seeing all this stuff come out in the news right now. We have yes. got to focus on assertiveness training mm-hmm. now for girls and boys, but particularly for girls who are socialized to sort of shush and keep quiet. I mean, research still shows that boys are called on more frequently in the classroom and sort of get more bonuses from teachers in the classroom unintentionally, but it happens. So we really have to work on this. I always tell parents a really fun thing that families can do at home, girls and boys, is have a weekly family debate night and like pick like silly things. Like, so, you know, you want to do like gummy bears, pro or con. And so one kid is going to be pro and the other is con and they have the week to sort of figure out their arguments and maybe do some research online about gummy bears and what goes into them, whatever. (laughs) And then you host a debate night, right? And everybody gets a turn to talk and somebody moderates it and somebody asks questions and they go back and forth. And, you know, it sounds like a silly thing, but this kind of play is good for older kids. And we we have a tendency to say, oh, kids get to be eight, 10 years old and they don't play anymore. And that is just not true. Play shifts as people grow. Adults play. You know, you have a husband who goes out and plays basketball with his friends to blow off steam. That's playing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, people continue to play as they grow. And we need to recognize that and find ways for kids to do it that makes it fun and gets the whole family involved because that's how we work on things, you know. Mm-hmm. This is tough stuff to work on, but when you make it fun, you know, you can do it. And so, you know, and then even just using literature or the movies and things that you're watching, you know, Wonder is out now. And that's an amazing Mm -hmm. movie experience for a million reasons, but also to help kids look at, well, how is that one standing right now? What do you think he's feeling? And what does his eyes looking at the floor all the time tell you, you know, helping kids think about, well, what does my body language show? And what does my voice tone show? When they can really pick that stuff apart, they can learn to amplify their voices and to stand a little taller. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I I think my kids would actually like this kind of debate idea. We've started doing at the dinner table, stories in a round, you know, everybody gets a a line because, uh, you know, I wanted my kids and they also, you know, they like it, but I wanted my kids to feel like they could, you know, kind of make a story all together and that they could all have a voice in creating a story, especially as they're learning in school, 
how to write a story, you know, how right. to, you know, speak up for themselves. And, and, and it's a little, you know, at first, like, especially for one of my children it was a little bit scary. Like he was like not wanting to participate because, you know, you don't want to say something wrong. So even right. for those younger kids who you're like, well, I don't know if they could do a debate, but maybe they could do something where they're contributing to, um, you know, a, a project that you're doing mm-hmm. or a story that you're creating. It's just one way to kind of get them to lend their voice. And it is significant because whatever they say in this sort of story and around changes the story. And it, that's right. You know, it lends itself. So that's sort of like the little bit younger version. But I like what you're saying about this idea of debate. Um, and hadn't thought much about that, but I think that that could be a, a next iteration. You know, arguments over gummy bears, yes or no? <laughs> exactly. Well, it gives you know, it gives them a voice, a, a safe place to start voicing opinions. You know, yeah. we all have strong opinions on things. Kids tend to be shushed, and they tend to be told, you know, keep your opinion a little lower. That's a mistake. You know, they have to learn how to voice their opinions and and learning how to get some research to back it up or some thoughts sure. to clearly back it up is helpful as they grow. Sure, sure. Well, speaking of research, um, you know, I, I know that you you talk a lot about research in your latest book. And there was a, a very large scale study of over 10,000 women, uh, the Dove Global Beauty and Confidence Report, that says that seven in 10 girls with low body esteem say they won't be assertive in their opinion or stick to their decision if they aren't happy with the way that they look. Have you found that body esteem and the way that people look at their looks curbs the way that they are assertive or the way that they do or don't speak up for themselves. Absolutely. I see, you know, girls who will sort of try to hide, you know, mm-hmm. so they put on the big hoodie sweatshirt and they put up the hood or they're they're wearing really loose clothing and they put up the hood and look down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I absolutely see that in my office and in my groups a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when girls are not feeling good about how they look on the outside or they're wondering about how they look to other people on the outside, they're less likely to voice their opinions because they mm-hmm. somehow think they're not important and that their opinions don't matter as much as someone who feels good about themselves. So this whole, you know, idea of confidence and self-esteem, and it can be body esteem, it can be just self-esteem. And even, you know, sometimes people have very distorted body esteem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you look at them and say, wow, look at this strong young girl. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, she looks like she plays a lot of sports and is very active and could climb a tree in three seconds. And, but that girl is not feeling that that's how she looks. So, You know, we also have to be careful about making leaps as parents. We are, you know, our gut reaction is to protect them in a variety of ways. And sometimes the way that we do that is that we accidentally dismiss their feelings. And so when a young girl goes to a parent and says, I don't think I look right or I don't look like my friends, they say, of course, you're beautiful. No, no, you're perfect. Just the way you are. And while those are nice platitudes, they don't do anything for what the girl is actually feeling on the inside. And so I try to encourage parents to be able to take a deep breath when they hear something that scares them. You know, we react that way when we're feeling nervous. Well, mm-hmm. why? how could my daughter possibly feel this way? I think the world of her and our anxiety prompts us to 
reacted this sort of strong but dismissive way. And I try to encourage parents to take a few deep breaths and then ask a why, you know, a why question or, mm-hmm. or you know, what makes you say that? Or what, tell me more about why you're feeling that way about your body. Or, you know, just really being, we can't be afraid to ask those questions either to say like, well, tell me why you think that about your body. Can you explain to me what you're feeling about your body? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we never want to have those conversations because we think it's like wrong to talk about bodies. Right. Well, right. they're thinking it. They're thinking about their bodies. Their bodies are changing and growing fairly rapidly throughout childhood and middle childhood. You know, for us, it feels like it's a long journey. For them, it's constant. Their brains are changing. Everything is changing all at once. And they're bombarded with all these things in the media. And they're comparing themselves to their peers. Mm-hmm. And we say, don't make comparisons. You know, comparisons are, are, is the thief of joy. You know, we have our cliches <laughs> that we throw out. But that doesn't stop them from making those comparisons of wondering how they stack up. That's part of growing up. So again, getting back down to talking honestly with kids, not being afraid to say words, you know, are you feeling that way because you're starting to develop? Are you feeling that way because you, you think that your breasts are starting to bud, you know, like no one wants to have these conversations. We can be honest, right? We're never ready for it, but we have to be ready for it. Like we, the parents have to stand in the mirror and say these words over and over and over again until they're normal for us. Yeah, we could say them to friends if we want. I mean, it's just like to have an audience because it, it's, it's it's so important to practice. I know when yeah. I'm speaking to audiences about body image and girls, often there's a moment and I feel it from the audience where they are, I know, going over in their head what they have said or have not said in the exact situation that you just mentioned. And they're thinking, oh, crap. I messed right. up. Um, and I just I just want to underscore that it's okay if you were the one after you just heard Katie say, you know, did you just dismiss somebody or, you know, oh, no, you're not, like, you're perfect the way you are. It's okay because we can always go back, right? We can always go back and say, I wish I'd handled that differently and go back to your child and say, you know, you mentioned – a couple of weeks ago that you felt this way. And I said this, can we talk more about that? We Absolutely. Can go back, right? I do this with my own daughter all the time where I'll, you know, overthink something sure. later, you know, at night yeah. and I'll go back to her and say, you know, I said something to you yesterday and I wish I said it differently. Do you, do you have a minute to talk about mm-hmm. that? So I can say what I, maybe what I meant to say right. or what I could have said a little bit differently and we'll go back over it. And, you know, I, I can see in her eyes that sort of recognition of, Hey, I mean, first of all, we all make mistakes, yes. right? We all say things that we think are the yes. right thing and turn out to be the wrong thing. So, okay. And then that teaches her that, you know, things aren't over just because a conversation ends. You can revisit it. You can say all the same things again, if you need to say the same things again. But when we go back to our kids and say, you know, I really thought about something we said and I'm thinking that I want to go in a different direction or I meant mm-hmm. to say this. It sort of gives them permission to rethink the things that they've said or yeah. to, you know, bring up other stuff. And I think that's just a good communication tool. Mm-hmm. Good I, lesson. And I love the idea that, you know, we can make mistakes because we make so many of them. And, you know, sometimes people think that somehow because we do this professionally that we somehow have these like amazing children that are perfect all the time and we are somehow <laughs> perfect all the time. I mean, it's just like a laughable because yeah. it's so, so untrue. 
Um, <laughs> We're we <still> do, <laughs> what we do have is the ability to like think about it later and go, wow, I, I really messed up just now. Um, yeah. So you know, that's nice. So so I just want to, you know, I just want people to all know we're on the same boat here and, you know, we are far from perfect. And, and speaking of perfect, you know, we know that 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 can affect our self-esteem as parents, but it also can affect the self-esteem of kids. And I'm wondering, you know, how do how does that fit into this whole idea, this like striving to be perfect and then how can we kind of talk to girls and work with girls about perfectionism so that it doesn't interfere with their ability to speak up or be, you know, friends with the people they actually want to be friends with instead of the people that are sort of telling them to be friends with them? You know, how does that play a role? You know, perfectionism is a big problem right now among young girls. And, you know, as a partially reformed perfectionist, I yeah. can tell you, having gotten to the other side at some point in my adult life, uh, the world is better when you're not putting an intense amount of pressure on yourself to be some version of perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I talk to girls a lot about the fact that we can strive for excellence. We can strive for success. Mm-hmm. We have to be willing to fall short. We have to be willing to stumble along the way because nobody gets to from A to Z without hitting a single obstacle. That just doesn't happen in the world. And unfortunately, I think one thing that young girls go through right now, because they are so much more enmeshed in media and things that are happening. They know way more about the world now than mm-hmm. they did, than, than we did yeah, as girls, you so know, clueless. so yes. they're privy to so much more. And we really weren't, we, we just didn't, didn't know that much stuff. And they see so much stuff, even just looking over mom's shoulder when she's checking her Facebook feed or Instagram mm-hmm. or things, you know, they're right. always kind of, and they do that because not because they're trying to be sneaky, but they're looking for clues. You know, they're trying to figure out why we like it, for one thing. Um, they're trying to figure out what we get out of it. And then they see things and they're trying to make sense of the things they see. So it's sort of like this whole convoluted thing. But girls are, because of all the competition right now. So the the problem with all this toxic competition is that somebody always has to be the best. Mm-hmm. And if there's a best, well, then there's a worst. And who wants to be the worst? Right. So, but girls from very young ages, you know, kindergarten, first grade are getting thrown into soccer teams and they softball are. teams. Like competitive travel. It's, yes. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. very highly competitive. It's intense. It's a lot of pressure. Um, they're being told how to do things exactly right. And when they fall short, they're reprimanded for that, you know? Mm. So, so that's one factor. Then we have, the pushing down of academics. We are expecting much more of children at a younger age than we ever did. And they're constantly being assessed. So unbelievably, I cannot believe what my second and third graders are are, are learning and doing and expected to know. I I can't even, I cannot believe it. And I have no idea how I would have done in the same environment. And, you know, I talked to a little girl recently who, you know, was, I just, I want my report card to be perfect. I want to get perfect grades. And I said, you know, you're not, you know that you're nine and you don't actually have grades. Right, right. right. Like you're just satisfied. Do you meet the requirements for the grade? That's it. That's that's it, right? (laughs) Aim for three. But, you know, and and she was like, but there's numbers. And if I get all the best numbers, I will get this reward. And I thought, oh. Now we get it. Right. And 
not every parent is doing this, no, but even well, even the parents who aren't doing it, well, the kids, that's what they talk about at school. Well, what do you get if you get all fours or all check pluses or, you know, whatever, whatever your school it is. Whatever is or all E's or whatever yeah. their so, thing is, yes. Well, what do you get? Do you get money? Do you get ice cream? Do you get to go to the movies? Oh, what do you boy, get? And well, I don't good. get it. Right? And so kids, we forget that kids have these very <laughs> detailed lives that don't include us. Right. They leave they us. They have conversations of things. Day. Yes. yes. They talk about things, they hear things, they learn things. Um, and some of it's great and some of it's not, yeah, you like know. And, bus talk can sometimes go in a bad direction. <laughs> right. And so, you know, so there's a lot of pressure right now on girls. So it's really no wonder that so many girls are struggling with mm -hmm. perfectionism because they're healing, hearing it on the field, they're hearing it at school, they're getting it somewhere at home, they're comparing themselves to their siblings or their best friends or their cousins or, you know, what have you. Parents are really wanting kids to be successful. I mean, the catchphrase of the public school right. system right now is college and career ready, and that starts in pre-kindergarten. Oh, so, gosh. That's crazy. You know, think about that. You know, take a preparatory minute to, school in kindergarten. Right. You know, chew on that yeah. and then think about, well, it uh, it's not really that off the mark that so many girls are struggling with this. So, right. you know, the question is, what do we do? Well, right. we find outlets for them that are not competitive, that are just healthy. You know, um, we find role models for them who can tell them about all the mistakes they made. I often as an author go into school classrooms and talk about the mistakes and talk about the failures, you know, before I got to be an author and talk about the missteps that, you know, almost made me not become an author, you know, so right. I am very open with kids going in and talking to them about how, you know, yes, it's great. This is my second book with a major publishing house. And I'm very excited. And I hope a lot of people read it, but maybe only two people will. And I'm going to have to be okay with that. I'll if read only it. I'll be one. I'll be one There's of the two. <laughs> I've already read you know, it. <laughs> I think we get, you know, kids to hear from you know, sometimes from athletes, college athletes and things, mm -hmm. but also just from regular people that, right. you know, in the world doing regular jobs that, hey, it's hard and some days are hard and some days you really fall short. I mean, I have bad days where I don't get my work done or the work that I do is not as great as I had planned it to be in my head before I started working. I can beat myself up about that or I can take a break, sleep on it and start again the next day and give myself a do over. Right. You know, we have got to teach girls that every day is a new day to start again. Yes. You know, they can, my father always used to say that the thing that he loved the most about sunsets was that if you had the perfect day, you had a great day, it's a beautiful way to end it with those colors just dripping from the sky. But if you had a lousy day, it was a beautiful way to end it with the colors dripping from the sky because you knew that you got another shot the next day. Oh, and gosh. I, think, I love your dad. You know, we need to say those things to young girls, very young. We've got to start because they are engaging in these big girl things at young ages. Well, then we got to talk to them younger. You know, we can't wait until it gets bad. By the time they get to me, they can't sleep at night. They don't want to go to school. They're not eating. They're, you know, a mess. We've got to talk to them sooner before they hit that point. So let's talk a little bit about those discussions. Um, and, and I so appreciate that because I think that the discussions are, are things that we have to have and sometimes can be very scary and we don't always know what to say. And having you as, as a guide in this case can be really helpful and, and calming for a lot of people. So 
let's say that you have a girl in front of you who has come home to tell you or come into your office to tell you that that girls are being mean or she feels like there's nothing she can do about it. She may feel like she doesn't have friends or and, and you know that she's feeling really low. So what do you do or say to that child who has come to you with with some low self-esteem and, and situations that are kind of feeding into it? The first thing I always tell parents is to really slow down your own responses and be okay with sitting with silence for a couple of minutes because it's better to be quiet for a couple of minutes and really think through your reactions than to overreact quickly and in the moment because our girls take their cues from us. So if they come to us saying that they're basically dealing with relational aggression and they feel hopeless and they don't know how to handle it and we immediately pick up our phones and start texting other moms and emailing the school and calling dad to get him in on it or whatever you know they see that over that's an overreaction it really is and they see that and they start to become very anxious because clearly this is a high alert situation that they have just revealed and now they don't know what to do with all those feelings so the first really best thing parents can do is empathize with their kids and just really listen and ask questions and listen to the answers. So instead of formulating in your brain, well, what's going to be my strategy? What's my plan of attack for to fix this for my kid? Sit with your child. Listen to the words that she's saying to you. Empathize with her and say, oh, my gosh, that sounds really, really hard. I can't imagine how that must feel for you at school. Can you tell me how you're feeling at lunch? Can you tell me how you're feeling when you're sitting at your desk? What kinds of things are you thinking when you're there at school? You know, and a lot of times when we talk like that to kids, they will say, I'm thinking I want to come home. I'm missing you. I feel like I can't stay there anymore. You know, they'll start really sharing those inner anxieties and those inner worries that they're struggling to get through all day long. You know, and remember when girls are going through this, they are in survival mode at school when they are away from you. You are their lighthouses. So, mm -hmm. you know, they are in survival mode. They are waiting for that beam of light to wash over them and make them feel better. So we can't panic. We have to listen and we have to ask more questions. While your daughter is starting to reveal things, you know, sort of make a note of it in your brain so that you can scribble it down later exactly what's happening. Um, so you can get a clear picture of what's really happening at school, who's doing what, who's saying what, how is your daughter responding. And then just sometimes a simple answer is, what do you think will make you feel better at school? Mm -hmm. You know, and you can kind of get to the root of what is it that your daughter needs? Well, having a friend. Okay. So, you know, one thing I do with kids all the time is I make little friendship maps because when they're, they're at school for so long and they're in that one, in elementary school, they tend to be in one classroom. And even in middle school, they travel in packs from class to class a lot, depending on level, right? So they tend to see the same kids over and over again. And so I say, let's map out other friends. Okay. Right. We know these are the people at school right now. These friendships aren't working and we're not sure why, but we know they're not working and that you're feeling really bad. And so we got to figure out what we want to do is figure out like who else is a good touchstone for you at school? Like who else might be a good friend? So was there anyone that you took choir with or was there anyone that, you know, is around in the neighborhood, but in a different classroom that you really like? So getting your daughter, helping your daughter explore who are the other people in my life? Cause when girls are feeling hopeless, they're feeling like no one likes me. 
no one wants to be around me. They're all being mean to me, you know, and so they get, that's an over, very overwhelming feeling if you have ever experienced it. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's yeah, devastating. Sure. So helping them realize that they're actually really not alone mm -hmm. is the best first step. You will have time to deal with the school and the other parents and all of that stuff after you speak with your daughter. But when you are talking with your daughter, you've got to stay focused on her. And so map out those other friends that she has in life. And then talk about, well, how can we amplify those friendships? Let's think about, should we invite that girl over, you know, tomorrow after school to just hang out? You know, we can watch a movie or you guys can just play outside or, you know, we can go to the park, whatever you want to do. Start getting your daughter thinking about there is more, there's always more than just one person in the world, you know, so one person might be really, being really mean at school and I'm going to help you with that. But let's think about a second person that is being kinder that we can really focus on right now because that everyone needs to have one friend that they feel good about. You know, we can't, none of us, we're not meant to be alone. We are social beings. So everybody needs one friend. So I think, you know, really opening those doors to conversations, just asking more questions then giving answers really helps with young girls because they have the answers and they want to communicate with their parents, but they don't always know how. Mm -hmm. And it feels embarrassing to try and talk about stuff like this. They feel like failures that they're mm -hmm. being targeted at school. They're mortified that they have no friends and that, or that they think that they have no friends. So it's hard to bring this stuff up. Right. Absolutely. I love the idea of the friendship map and and really, you know, focusing on some of these other people who might be on the periphery and bringing them into full light. I remember speaking to somebody who told me that um, in his world that when the other people were amplified, it dwarfed the importance of the person who was making his life right. less pleasant. So um, I really, I really appreciate what you're saying. I'd like to flip this before we go into our top tip and just ask you for what to say if you find out that your daughter is on the opposite end, that she has made somebody else feel ostracized or belittled, that somebody else has mentioned that their daughter is feeling left out and hurt. What is the conversation that you can have with your child at that point? Well, the first thing is you have to be willing to believe it because nine times out of 10, the problem I run into is that moms say to me, there's no way she said she didn't do it. Of course, she's going to say she didn't do it. She doesn't want to get, no one wants to get in trouble. And sometimes when we feel guilty, our mm -hmm. gut response is to deny it mm -hmm. because we wish we didn't do it. We wish sure. we didn't say those things. And so I think again, and it's hard to empathize when you think that your kid is doing something atrocious, but <laughs> you know, sitting down with your daughter and saying, it sounds like you are saying some really unkind things to other girls at school. And I want to understand what's going on. You must be having a really hard time and I'm not seeing it. Mm -hmm. And so I want to know what's going on. What's making you feel like you need to say those things. Mm -hmm. And yes, she's going to deny it the first time and you're going to have to repeat the statement. And you may have to say, well, you know, the teacher sent home a note that she overheard you say this and this mm -hmm. to this little girl. Why would you choose to say those to help me understand why you chose to use those words mm -hmm. with that little girl? And mm -hmm. let's think about how she might have felt when she heard those words and mm -hmm. just kind of like steer it towards empathy. You know, our, our, 
gut instinct is to either deny it or to consequence. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if we want kids to shift their thinking and to learn how to connect better with other kids, then those neither of those two things work. You know, we have to really get down and dirty with them and talk about what's going on beneath the behavior. Every behavior is a form of communication, even targeting other kids. So let's find out what they're really trying to communicate when they do that. Thank you for that. I, I think sometimes we leave this out of the conversation, you know, that our daughter can actually be the one who is making somebody else feel bad. But I think it's important that we have that conversation. And I also appreciate what you're saying about believing it, because, uh, you know, it is our gut reaction to want to defend our child and and think the best of them at all times. But there are many people who are saying unkind things at school or behaving in a way that makes other people feel inferior and it can't always be everybody else. Sometimes it has to be your kid. And I think too, for parents who have heard this information or had another parent say your girl is being unkind, I I can't reiterate enough for parents that just because your girl is doing unkind things right now or saying unkind things doesn't mean that she's not a good person. Right. It means that she is going through something and she doesn't know how to communicate in a better way. So she just hasn't learned it yet. So instead of thinking all is lost or thinking that your child is terrorizing other kids, you know, take a deep breath and say to yourself, there are some skills she hasn't learned yet. We got to figure that out. Right. My daughter and I, we often talk about how everybody's working on something. I say it to my son, mm -hmm. too. Everybody's working on something. You're working right. on these skills. Somebody else is working on those skills. And, you know, the intention is likely that they did not want to make you feel bad, you know, yeah. or your intention may not have been to make that other person feel bad. But this is how right. it wound up coming out. So now what are we doing? So at this point, I would love to talk about your top tip out of out of everything we've discussed or maybe did not discuss, how can we best help girls uh, cope best with, with relational aggression and, and help them to become the, the, the kind-hearted, uh, happy, good people we know them to be? Well, I mean, the obvious thing to say is to model it because they learn so much from us and that is generally a good tip is to model kindness, model empathy, um, check our own reactions in the mirror when we're frustrated, when we're sad, uh, when we're feeling disappointed by a friend or a relative. Really think about how we portray that to kids, how we handle rough spots so that if our daughters are seeing any of that, that, that we're setting a good example. But the number one thing I would love to see more of from moms and dads of daughters is to spend more one-to-one -one uninterrupted time with them. Mm -hmm. The number one request of girls when I speak at schools to girls, when I have them in my girls groups, when they're just in my office, the number one request I ask every single girl I encounter, what do you want most from your mom or dad? And they say time alone. Mm -hmm. They, we are on our phones too much. Mm -hmm. um, I'm guilty at times. We are on our phone too much. We are relying too much on instant gratification. We are relying too much on being super connected to the outside world at all times. They want us to snuggle up and watch a movie. Yes. They want us to go out to in and out and get a burger and some fries and talk. They want to go hiking. They want to ride bikes. 
they just, they want to be together. They want time with dad. They want time with mom. They want time with their favorite aunt. It's not too much to ask, you know, to just to build in that time. That is when they will do their talking. That is when they will ask us the burning questions that are swirling around in their little minds. And those moments are just they're critical. I always tell parents that between the ages of nine and 12 is make it or break it for self-esteem. Mm. It's absolutely, that is it. It's mm-hmm. make it or break it. They are either going to fly or they are going to tank. Spend that time with your girls because you can help them fly if you just give them your time. Mm. Well, that's a quotable. And I really appreciate you <laughs> saying that. I, sometimes I think we do need to sacrifice our connection with the outside world so that we can bolster the connection with our children. Right. So uh, th- thank you for that. I'm so excited to get your book out to the world. And I feel like it's it's really going to bless this world with so many great skills. I, I like the stories you provide in it. I like the tips you provide in it. And you really feel like you're talking to us. How can we get a hold of your book and give me the resource of the week? Well, the book is available for pre-order everywhere that books are sold now. Um, I love it if you went to your favorite local independent bookstore and requested to put a copy on hold. It will be available for purchase January 30th, but you can pre-order it now. And I I do love my indie bookstores, but- um, Perfect, that can be the resource of the week. Yep, and in in the event that you can't get there, you can also do Indie Bound, which is online, or um, of course, all the, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and the big ones. But I do love to support our local independent bookstores because they are doing great work getting the best books into our hands and um, I love that about them. Okay, and your website is? And my website is practicalkatie.com and you can find me on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else, although I try to balance it. (laughs) Uh, Yes, and we will be tweeting this out and getting it out on Facebook. We want people to learn all about you and your book and the wonderful uh, tips that you provide. I, I just so appreciate you joining us today and you've provided some some great talking points, uh, some important things to think about, um, this idea of, of connection and really listening and being quiet and asking good questions. All of these things are important to build the self-esteem of our girls and uh, start to reduce this mean girl culture. So thank you so much for, for being on the show and talking to us about your perspectives. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your support. Of course, anytime. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. And if you love this podcast like I did, and Katie Hurley's done an incredible job giving so many great tips, I hope you'll come up to iTunes, rate, review it, and share it with everybody you know. We want to bolster that self-esteem of our girls and really help them thrive and fly, as Katie's saying. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts, show notes are up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. You can back up. You can do it again. I know it's not easy, but never forget 
forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there's moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. You really are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.